Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. All right. When I decided to interview Dr. Patel and talk about CBD, I must admit that I had tried it before, but didn't really know what I was doing and never really felt like it worked. And when you are in as much pain as I'm in every single month, all you wanted to do is go away by any means necessary. So when I got my first bottle of Doc Patel's CBD oil, I was a little bit skeptical, to be perfectly honest. But gente, when I tell you it made the debilitating cramps that I get every single month more manageable, for me, that is nothing short of a miracle. And the thing that makes all of this cooler is the fact that Doc Patel's allows you to have a one-on-one consultation with Dr. Patel herself so you can discuss what you're looking for and have an actual doctor help you determine what product and what dosage is right for you. And for my Wine and Chisme listeners, they're offering an extra 5% off whether there's a sale or not. All you have to do is enter Wine and Chisme at checkout and there you go, you get your discount. So let me know if you decide to get it and how it works for you. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese, my podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from marginalized and communities of color doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Gagnes. Before I get to my guest this week, I want to give an update on the unofficial challenge I put out there last week. If you are unaware, Outside of the United States, the Netherlands has downloaded the Wine and Cheese Mate podcast more than any other country. The countries that round up the top five are Mexico, Honduras, and Argentina. Mexico has stepped up its listening and is quickly catching up to the Netherlands. So I'm really interested to see how this plays out over the next few episodes. Either way, I'm so grateful for each and every one of you who takes the time to listen each week. But now, on to our guest. This week, my guest is Mayra Hernandez. Author of Aventura, Amor y Tacos, Mayra is a first-generation Mexican-American who was raised in an urban neighborhood in Los Angeles by immigrant parents. After graduating from UC Berkeley, she realized her heart was in serving the community and has been working in the nonprofit sector since. She works to inspire her community to continue to grow and to continue making positive changes towards diversity while at the same time taking care of themselves. Through her work, she strives to empower individuals by reconnecting to their culture, values, and heritage that their motherland provides and helping them implement lessons from that wisdom in their daily lives. We spent a significant time talking about the wine at the beginning, and there is a lot of laughter in this episode, which I really think is needed right now. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the chisme. Hola, 
Mayra, Mayra, thank you so much for joining me today for some wine and chisme. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am doing well. I am very much, I'm super excited about having you on. I can't wait to like dive into the chisme with you. But before we get to the chisme, we got to get to the wine. So I'm actually going to let you start first in telling us what wine you are drinking today. All right. You know, to be honest, I can't, I can't remember the name of it, but it is a, a cab from Costco and I'm actually drinking it um, because it was on sale the last time that I went. I stocked up <laughs> in a few bottles because I knew, you know, we have we have a pandemic to deal with. So that's what I'm drinking currently. Hey, we got to do what we got to do <laughs> to get through the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> so thank stocking you. Stocking up on Costco wine. <laughs> exactly. So thank you for having me here, you know, giving me a good reason to drink. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, I, in my opinion... I mean, but obviously I'm biased. There's never a wrong time to drink wine. <laughs> so I actually am totally out of my comfort zone with this wine because I have a wine bar that's about a block away from me. And I'm trying to support small businesses. So I've talked to the owner a couple of times and I went over there yesterday and I was like, look, I need to buy multiple bottles of wine. And so he's been really cool about like, working with me and helping kind of like sponsoring some stuff and everything. So he actually, so one of the first wines and I have three bottles, but the first of the three bottles I opened is this wine from Georgia, the country, not the state, mm. Georgia. And it's a 2016. And I don't know if I'm saying it correctly because I want to use my Spanish accent, right? I want to say, yeah. yeah, but I don't know if that's like, it's, Anitia, I think that's how you say it. And I really do not know how to say this. It's a dry white wine, which is super lovely for me. And it's called, oh my gosh, I'm so going to just chop this up. Rats de Skelly. I am, I don't know how you that say it. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, but it sounds, you know, lovely to the ears. <laughs> and it's from this grape called Kiviki, and it's from the Kaheti region of Georgia. I don't know if I'm saying any of this right, by the way. I'm, just, I'm looking at it and trying to figure that out. So this apparently goes well with fish, seafood, and young cheeses. But here's the really kind of cool part. This Tera Anitia actually translates to mean original land. So it's named after this recognition that Georgia is where mar was where mar winemaking was born. Wow. Because obviously we think we're here in the States. We're like, oh, yes, it's Napa, then you, Napa region, and then you have Spain and France and Italy. But who would think Georgia of all places? Like, that's how small our minds are. <laughs> in the wow. Yeah. That's so awesome to hear. I'm learning so much. Right? Okay. <laughs> but doesn't more. that make sense, though, when you think about it? Because, like, if you are know anything about the Bible and that area and that region, it's like, that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't, but we don't think about it. So let's take a taste. This is the first time. Salud. Cheers. <laughs> oh, I like this. Mm. I like this. I like it because it is 
I love, I'm not a big white, and I've said this so many times. I'm, I'm, every time I'm like, I'm not a big white wine fan, but I really like this. So, oh. <laughs> but it's because I think I've been choosing the right types of whites. Mm. Uh, this one is really good. Oh my gosh. Like I imagine. Okay. So this is what it says. It says the wine of a pale straw color with aromas of a acacia, yellow plum and white mulberry. On the palate, the refreshing acidity, hints of white currant and yellow fruits with slight bitterness and mineral structure. The lasting aftertaste with sweet berries finish. That's what it says. Mm. But it does have like a little bit of a berry finish and it does, I'm going to say this is definitely a buy if you know where to get it. So in this particular case, I got it at a restaurant. So I'm going to say, here's the thing. We always kind of stick with what we know when it comes to wines, take a chance, right? Take a chance, try something different. This is really, really good. I'm actually really surprised. I shouldn't be surprised. I talked to the to the uh, owner of the wine shop and told him what I liked and this is what he came. So, all right, now we've done the wine. You That's, ready for some cheese, my girl? Yeah, but let me tell you, that is so good because I feel like I don't know too much about wines, but whenever I go to a restaurant, I always ask for the recommendations and who else is going to know more but the people who serve it every day, right? right? So I appreciate that so much. You know what I was just thinking about, and I don't do this enough because obviously, especially if I go to Italian restaurants and uh, they tend to have, but I think I'm going to start once we're able to go to restaurants again, <laughs> I'm going to start looking up what wines they have and start Googling them because what better way to try and mm. understand them by Googling them and, you know, especially right now with everything that's happening, everybody on lockdown, the wine industry and alcohol in general is just kind of exploding, right? But how many of us don't really know what we actually like? You just taste it and you're like, I like it or I don't. Mm -hmm. I have been somebody who tries to read the labels when I buy something. That's why I said, like, I always joke that I don't like white wine, but then the white wines I get, I like. It's because I read the labels. Mm. I don't like grapefruit. So I know if it has grapefruit in it, I'm not going to like it. I don't like grapefruit. To me, especially when they're like, but just add sugar. What's the point? Why are you getting grateful if you have to add sugar? Like, to yeah. me, it's so bitter. And I don't like chalk. I know I'm a weirdo. I don't like chocolate or caramel or stuff like that. So anything that says it has, like, notes of that, I stay away from. Uh-huh. Oh. Oh, that's such a good tip right that is so good because I'm not I'm not a big fan of like grapefruit like I'll drink it but I don't like you know love it and I think with with drinks especially you have to really love it yes I am not like um what is the that like a paloma mm -hmm. I I have so many friends that love palomas but I can't drink it because it's Grape, it's that it's like a what is the grapefruit like squirt like the uh, so and I just don't like it I'm not a fan mm, of it, so. yeah there's some wine cheese man yes I like that I'm gonna have to use that every time now that I drink <laughs> yeah well hey that's the whole point I'm trying to get more educated on wine and I want to be able to to pass that on uh, along too because if you don't know where to look or if you don't know who to ask, and I'm learning last night, I was on with somebody from, um, he's from the Austin area and we're, we were talking about these things. So 
it was, it's really, really cool to have people that understand and who know. In fact, I think, I don't know if it was this wine or not, where we were talking about, oh, and here's another thing. And I know we're like really getting into the wine today, but it's okay. So he was telling me, and I had no idea that he said the retail wine industry is hyper-segmented. So every $3 you spend more on a bottle of wine is like a totally different quality level. So if you're normally going to spend $10 on a bottle of wine, if you spend $3 more, the quality level just goes up that much more. If you get um, wow. something that's $6 more than what you would normally buy, the quality level goes up even that many more. And he's... And I was like, I had no idea. And he was like, yeah, that's just how retail works. So wow. I that is so, so cool. And how would any of us know that, right? You just look at it going, oh, is that fit my budget? Because I'm not somebody who normally spends a lot of money on wine because mm -hmm. especially now with drinking so much wine for the podcast. <laughs> But that's why I think it was really awesome, like working with, and this, this is local. I'm in San Diego. So this wine bar is, bar is called Whetstone, where I'm working with the owner. So he's been really awesome. And then just getting information from different sources. Wow. I'm <laughs> learning so much. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the weekend to live, live a new wine life. <laughs> there you go. Oh, there we go. The new wine life. I think we need to start a hashtag with that. <laughs> That's actually when I post this one, I'm going to be like my new wine life. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, well, okay, let's dive into it now. Like now that we are ready and sip whenever you need to sip, I'm ready, girl. <laughs> so you're originally from Wilmington, California, mm -hmm. which for those who don't know, is in the LA area closer to the Long Beach area. Tell me about the makeup of your neighborhood and how your parents chose that area of all areas mm -hmm. to raise you? Yeah, um, that's such a good question. I think Wilmington is really interesting because a lot of people, even in the LA area, don't know about it. It's such a small little town, really. And people drive through it all the time because Pacific Coast Highway, you know, runs right Isn't through Isn't it the just city. like a couple of exits and that's yeah, it, Yeah, right? it's, it's like super tiny. But it's interesting because I grew up, and I think I consider myself lucky in this, that um, the reason my parents moved there is because we had a great uncle, and that's where he lived. And then my tia bought a house there, and then my dad bought a house on the same block, and then my tio, and then my other tia. So literally, we're surrounded by family. It's like um, our whole little ranchito came from Mexico. You know, all of that. Is like the whole little rastas right there? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we got so lucky. and It's and the barrio de familia. That's what we want, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And I think it gave me such a really fun childhood because um, we were always hanging out with cousins because they just lived across the street, you know. And growing up in Wilmington, I think a lot of it, it was a very Hispanic city and town. So I grew up like going to the top value and it was like tortillas and this and that and the carniceria and, you know, all these places. So it had a very Latin influence. And I think I didn't recognize that until after like I went off to college and saw that that wasn't the whole world. Do you um, have any brothers and sisters that you were, was it just you and your cousins? 
Yeah, it was, um, we're a family of five um, kids, siblings, so Ooh. big family. <laughs> your, your parents were busy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously, and then even more cousins at that, you know, so it was, it was a really fun time. And, the, and for people who don't know, which most of my audience, I think they're within the Latinx community, I mean, you know, whether you, if you're that close, everybody lives at each other's house. It's even sleeping wise, you never know who's anywhere, right? Everybody's just, if you or the guys are living that close together, everybody helps raise each other. Exactly. The, it, that's exactly right. I mean, because it's so easy. It's easy to just go out and like hang out and be in family. So it was, it was fun. I love that. So what impact, because you're first generation, correct? Mm -hmm. What impact did being a first generation Mexicana in, I mean, I know that you said it was really, like it wasn't, I don't think it was just a very Latino area. It's a very Mexican, it's a very Mexican mm -hmm. area. So yeah. I like how you were saying you didn't really know anything other until you went off to college, but what did you kind of see within that? How did that affect you? Did you ever kind of venture out of your neighborhood when you were younger? Was you were you mm -hmm. just kind of in that little bubble? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think I started venturing out in high school because I I grew up knowing that I was like going to go to college, so I knew that was going to be a thing, even though I didn't know what it was going to look like for me. And in high school is when I really got a chance to explore different cultures, different people, different cities. Because I think my high school, it was small enough where it was really diverse. Um, so we knew everybody, right? Um, but it's also when I started going off to Hollywood, like, let me go to this concert here. Let me do this. Oh, yeah. When like, you live in LA, or see, I grew up in San Diego. So it was mm -hmm. to go to LA was not really a thing. And like, you, we mm. really had to kind of sneak around to go to LA. Because even after high school, I would add, I would say, oh, can we go to LA? And my mom would say no. And then me and my best friend would sneak off to like the garment district. <laughs> and then yes. I'd be like, did you guys go to LA? Like, <laughs> so it wasn't, you know, we had to kind of stick around here in San Diego or go, or that's when, you know, you go to Tijuana because we're so close. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why I was always jealous of, of San Diego because you just uh, hop in a scoop away from the border. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clubs, we were club girls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, yeah. And I mean, that that also like helped a lot because I think by the time I was like 18 and 21, you just, you know, we just learned to kind of be on your own no matter how much your parents yell at you. <laughs> yeah, so it was fun. I think I, after like, you know, I was a little bit older, I got a lot more exposure. So were you someone... Like, even in school, I want to kind of find out, like, how was school for you it being in that area? Because one thing, and th I think this is something we people coming from communities of color have always known, is that there is not always support in the educational system for us. Mm -hmm. I grew up, I, I feel like I did get that where I was. I know that even growing up in Escondido where I was, I know that there were places that didn't get that. There are pockets. But how was that, like, growing up, going to school, did you have supportive teachers? Did you, how were, like, your kind of peer interactions? Mm -hmm. And how did that evolve moving from throughout school, like, elementary, middle school, high school? Mm, that's a really good question. I think in elementary school, I, well, I was ESL. I was English as a second language, so Spanish was my first. And I think 
that helped a lot because I can only imagine like students who Spanish is their first language and they don't have that, like where they could learn in their language, you know, just how hard that must be. Um, and then going through middle school and high school, it was, it was similar where I think the schools were good enough. I didn't have too much of a challenge, but I think where I got really, really lucky was I knew that the high school in Wilmington doesn't perform as well. You know, it's like a typical LA high school where half of the people might not graduate, you know, especially Latinos and people of color. So I knew that was a thing even then. And, and I'm not sure how, how much the stats have changed. But when I went to high school, they had opened up this like small, it was in a charter school, but it was a middle college high school where we were taking like community college classes and, and doing all of that. Um, but my class was maybe like a hundred students, maybe 80 oh, wow. at that. Small. Super small. Like the whole campus when I was there was like 300 people. And it was a college going culture because we were in a community college. So I think that's where I got really lucky because I know not everybody gets that opportunity. But what I appreciated so much was that this school was it just started, right? So it was kind of like an experiment. And I think just the leadership was good because it was all kids from the hood. You know, we were probably from all different hoods, like in Carson, Wilmington, San Pedro, like all those surrounding cities. But even then, pretty much everybody graduated, which is rare, you know, when you have kids from those neighborhoods. And then two, half of them had already college classes completed, if not their associates. That's you know? awesome. You actually answered already my other question because the thing was going to be, were you somebody who always had big aspirations and it really sounded mm -hmm. like you did. Like you said, you knew you were going to go to college. You just didn't know where or what for mm -hmm. or everything. And I think sometimes just having that in your head, like, no, I'm going to college. Even if you don't know what it's for, even if you have no idea, but just having that idea in your head and having it so young, it just kind of fosters into everything. Did you guys have, I, when I was a freshman and sophomore in high school and they didn't have this, two weeks before my junior year, we moved to Albuquerque. And then we moved mm. back to San Diego a week after I graduated. So I was there, it wasn't there very long. But in high school, I was part of AVID which mm. if people don't know, it's called AVID is Advancement Via Individual Determination. And it's this class for kids who come from underserved and communities of color who may not have the tools, whether it's tutors, whether it's SAT prep, anything like that, that they don't come from families that can necessarily, that necessarily have access to those things. So they provide it and it be, it, it comes out of one of your electives. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But it also gives you an idea of what college would be like because they make sure that you get college tours and this, was that something that you were involved in as well? Yes. Um, Avid was such a big part because I think the high school I went to because it was so small it had the goal that everybody was going to go to college mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like oh if you fit the the box or whatever it was like everybody so actually avid everybody took so all 300 of us were were in that um in that class you know every single year of high school and I think because of that it just really did prepare us where a lot of it is unknown like I didn't know what college I went to UC Berkeley and I applied but when I applied, I didn't even know where it was, you know? So it was just kind of like, oh, it's, it's, they say it's as good as like UCLA, UC San Diego. I, where's Berkeley? <laughs> like, I really had no clue. <laughs> so what made you decide? How many, first of all, how many colleges did you apply for? What made you decide 
to apply to Berkeley and what was kind of the deciding factor? What was the most instrumental thing of you going there? Yeah, um, this is so interesting because it's taking me back to my senior year, you know. <laughs> girl, shout I want the story. Those- I told you, <laughs> I like, I want to pull the cheese out, girl. Yeah, I'm like, shout out to all who you're, you know just graduated and you know unfortunately they they didn't get their their ceremonies but I applied to I would say four UCs and like maybe six Cal States like all the ones that you got free applications for yeah and then I think that might have been it because I didn't apply to private schools because I thought I wasn't going to be able to afford it you know so for people who don't outside of California there's the way that schools are kind of ranked in California are the use like as far as state schools are the UC system is like harder to get into mm-hmm. right then you have the state like San Diego state Cal state um, Los Angeles, Cal State, mm-hmm. San Bernardino so it's like the UC system is kind of like the pinnacle of the of this California university system outside of private schools. Yeah. So you were like, yes, I am going, I'm going to UC. Okay. So yeah. Clarify that. Cause some people don't realize that. I don't think all mm-hmm. states are even ranked, like even do it that way. Mm-hmm. So what was kind of that determining factor? Yeah. For me, it was, I remember just like finishing high school and realizing that I had really good grades. I was like, okay. Where can I get into? And then I think at that point, like I mentioned, I was like going to concerts. I was like exploring like all these different things that my mom like nunca nos quería dejar. Like she never wanted us <laughs> to like go out and do this. So I was very determined to like be independent. And my goal was like UCLA. I was like, I'm gonna go to UCLA. I'm gonna live in the dorms. But when I learned about Berkeley, they were like, oh, it's just you know, it's ranked as high as UCLA. But it's by the Bay Area in San Francisco. I was like, oh my gosh, that's really far. That means my parents won't force me to come home every weekend. Um, and I think for me, it was just like really wanting that independence because I knew that being one, a woman, and then two, the first in my family. And this is like the first in almost my entire extended family. I knew it was going to be difficult for my parents to let me go. And if I went somewhere close, it'd be like, you know, come every weekend, like, vente a comer, you know, yeah. this and that. So I was like, let me go somewhere where I can really, really experience what it's like to go to college. I feel like a lot of my friends did the same. I have friends that were very, that stuck close, but I also had friends that are like, especially if they came from a very traditional family and stuff, they're like, okay, I need to ha- experience my own life. I need to get away. I want to be close enough where I can go home whenever I want, but far away enough where it's not expected to be home every weekend. Even in San Diego, mm-hmm. like to go to San Bernardino is a couple hours of a drive. Yeah. So your parents aren't going to expect you to come home every weekend to drive. And especially if there's traffic, because the Lord knows you here in Southern California, you don't say, if you ask how long it's going to be there, you say, well, it depends on traffic. Mm-hmm. Right? Everything's like, well, it depends <laughs> on traffic. It could be five miles away, but it depends on traffic. <laughs> like that's, yeah. how we, that's how we truly measure driving. And you know, like even here in San Diego, which is not as bad as LA, mm-hmm. even here in San Diego, if somebody's in North County, I'm like, I'm not going to date you. It's going to take like... <laughs> It's too far. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a long distance relationship right there. 
It is. And technically it's like 30 miles. It's really yeah. not that, but it is. And I live in Denver. Why am I going to want to go? And I grew up in North County. I grew up in North County, San Diego, but I live pretty much in downtown now. Why do I want to go over there? Everything you cool to do is on this side of town. <laughs> So exactly <laughs> so terrible so what was your parent how would like what was your parents reaction how did they feel when you decided to go to Berkeley yeah um it was so funny because um I told them I was applying and I remember when I got in I got into both UCLA and UC yeah <laughs> so it was exciting I think I found out about UCLA first and so then UC Berkeley so my parents were ecstatic about UCLA because they hear about it you know like they don't know too much about universities but they hear about it I feel like that's um, like the pinnacle for Southern California like especially Mexican parents is mm -hmm. UCLA is the mm -hmm. holy grail of universities for their kids exactly and it was funny because when I got into UCLA, I was super ecstatic because I was like, I'm going to get my independence. Like, I'm going to go live by San Francisco. You know, this whole excitement. And my parents were like dead in the face, you know, because they were like, oh, my God, she might actually leave. And I remember during that senior year, my I was like totally for Berkeley. And I was like, let's go to the open house. They have like this big event. And they didn't want to take me. And they were like, we're not going to go unless you go to the events at UCLA first. So they like literally dragged me out of the house. And I was like crying. <laughs> you know, like Such a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> like they literally forced me to go to those welcome events at UCLA because that's where they wanted me to go. And I was like, you know, I don't want to go. I just wasn't set on it. And then when I went, Thankfully, I think my parents were level-headed enough where they actually did take me to Berkeley. So, you know, I'm so grateful for that, that they actually, you know, took the drive That's and awesome. we went. Yeah, but it's funny because as soon as we drove up to Berkeley, look at how dirty the streets are. Look at these homes. They're going to find people. anything. Like, yeah. Anything and everything, right? So it was, a, it was an interesting experience just, like, to go through that with them. And I can understand, like, why, you know, they, they were hesitant. But I think I appreciate the fact that they gave me both options, even though they didn't want to. Yeah. No, that's yeah. really good. I mean, because how many people do we know that their parents were just, like, you really had to do it. I actually, in, I think, episode 14, was talking to... Uh, Dominica Esquetel, and she was saying how she had no financial or emotional support from her family. How mm. when she went to Fresno State, and they were just like, no. And so mm. to, ha to hear that, like to hear the opposite, even though your parents really wanted you to go to UCLA, but to hear that they were at least willing to go, even if they point out everything, because I think as Latino parents, they... There's, I feel like there's a little Jewish in Latino parents and like that guilt, right? Like the mm -hmm. Jew, you've heard of the Jewish guilt. There's that Latino guilt where you're like, nobody can guilt you like a Latina mom. Mm. Mm. Preach. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. And you're like, uh -huh. I, uh -huh. it's the whole thing. So just to hear that they were at least, even if they did point out all of the freaking basura and la calle and everything, just yeah. the fact that they were willing to go with you is huge. Yeah. So once you get to Berkeley, what was your experience like in Berkeley? Cause I'm not, I've never been there mm -hmm. as far as, 
when I think of Berkeley, I think of like hippy dippy, mm-hmm. crunchy, crunchy granola type people. Yeah, really wearing Birkenstocks. <laughs> <laughs> but what was your experience? Is there a lot of diversity there? Were you involved in a sorority or campus activities? Like, how? What was kind of your mm-hmm. life during your period in Berkeley? It's so interesting um, because. I, what my idea of college was, what was what I saw in movies, you know, like, I'm gonna be best friends with my roommates, like, we're gonna go to parties, it's gonna be so great, and then you get there, and the reality struck for me that um, I had, like, reverse culture shock, where there was maybe, like, 10, 15% Latinos on campus, and I was like, whoa, you know, to come from where I did in LA to then to that, it was, it was a hard first year for me, it was, like, very difficult, I felt like microaggressions, you know, from, from the people who I lived around and, and I didn't even know what that was back then. Right. Which is crazy because they like to build themselves up as like this super liberal. Like when you think of that, when you think mm-hmm. of internal, just almost like Oregon, right. You think of mm-hmm. Oregon, they're like, Oh, we're super liberal, but there's all of these microaggressions or side eyes, or you say something and people are like, excuse me. It's just, Mm-hmm. It's very weird because how can you say you're like super liberal and you're accepting, but then you're kind of throwing shade at me for who I am? Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's it's so interesting because it happened all the time. And I, it was the first time that I ever experienced it, and I knew it felt bad. I just didn't know what it was. Like I do. You, like, can you remember like examples of what you would get? Oh, sure. So um, when I first, I had a, a white roommate. And when I first met her, she introduced herself and she was, oh, you, and then I introduced myself. She said, you're the cultured one. And I was like, yes. And I was like, wait, just because, let me just say, just because you come from a community of color doesn't mean you're cultured. <laughs> just means you're from another culture. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I was just like, did that just happen? And that was just like literally move-in day, you know? Oh, um, there was a lot of moments like that and another thing was I was lucky because I did a lot of college classes in high school so the major that I wanted I had a good enough GPA to apply because I did psychology and it was like everybody wanted to do psychology and first year I lived regular dorm second year I decided to live in the Latino dorm and I remember there was a lot of people who wanted to major in psychology but they didn't have that advantage that I did they had to take the general classes at Berkeley which if you think about it, coming from a Latino high school who's underserved or, you know, an urban neighborhood that's underserved, and you might be the top of your class there, but when you put it in the ranks of a high-performing institution, you kind of fall to the ends of it, right? Because you're not as prepared as other students. I think I was able to skip that because of all the classes I took at community college, but I saw a lot of friends who were getting, like, Cs and Ds and, like, not passing, and they had a major in like something completely different there uh, than their aspirations because her was just like so ridiculous and found myself being one of the only people of color in my major and i remember i took like a, a psychology of like race and something else and we had our little discussions and we were talking about race at one point and i was the only person of color and they asked a question i don't even remember what it was and everybody turned to me and i'm just like I didn't even, I wasn't that person who participated a lot because I just felt so excluded. Yeah. And in that moment, I was like, uh. <laughs> but isn't that crazy? I took a gender, gender and race, gender, race and ethics in media class in college. And it was always so 
interesting. My professor who is really like, I've even Facebook friends with her. She's really awesome. She's a white woman, but this woman is like all about representation and she's, she's always about continuing to learn. Right. So when you would have somebody, especially a man, a young man, and I was in my, I was a later in life student. I was in my thirties when I went back to college and I would hear these 20 year old, these 20 year old white males say something, girl, I'm somebody I can feel when I'm getting mad. Like I feel my insides getting hot. Like mm-hmm. I can feel, it's like, obviously my blood is not literally boiling or I would die, but it's like, I can feel like my blood's boiling and I either, I will either like the ultimate attitude starts coming out or I need to just like breathe through it. So I don't go crazy on somebody. What was your reaction? Like, how do you respond to those things? How how was your response to those things? Yeah. I think um, people don't believe it so much now because I feel like I put myself out there now. But I think before I was very like shy, very introverted, very quiet. So my thing was just like to hide. I'd be like, okay, that just happened. And that was weird. And I just like leave and move on. You're like, and now I know I'm not talking to you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So you get through that How, well, or what was the what was the things that got you through that because that's four years of I'm sure having these conflicts how did you handle who you were and where you came from while you were navigating that type of culture in college yeah that's a really good question I think it was hard for me the first year because I I'm a kind of like person who loves different types of like music and learning and culture and whatnot so yes I could be very Mexican where I listen to a lot of the Mexican music but I also like listen to rock rap like all these different things there's not so, I can't cling to anything else but Mexican music <laughs> that's the one thing I got like I can listen to whatever all the time but mm-hmm. Saturdays and Sundays if I'm cleaning yep I have to, yeah. <laughs> that's what comes on yeah it puts you in the mood for sure so it was interesting because I thought like being in a, in a place where it's going to be diverse and this, that I would feel very included my first year. Um, but I didn't. So I think what really helped me was like, I need to be surrounded my, by my community so I could like be successful and thrive. So that's where I ended up moving to like the Latino dorms. Um, I got more involved my second year. I did clubs, I did organizations, um, took on a couple like leadership positions within those organizations Um, I remember the first year I saw like mariachi on campus and I was like oh my gosh there's people who relate to my culture here and I didn't know you know so I think a lot of that helped and when I was able to get rooted in that I was able to navigate the campus a little bit more like confidently Um, so it definitely helped and I think any little reminders that reminded me of LA I would go for so I would find myself just like going to concerts, you know, every now and again, I would grab some of my friends and we'd go to the taco trucks in Oakland because they, it didn't exist in Berkeley. Right. And I remember the first time I found a panaderia, like, a, you know, a Mexican bread store. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like a whole bunch of little gems that I just kept finding. And this was back then. I think now it's a lot more integrated, but um, I would get like a burrito from the, from the Mexican shop all the time, just so that I could like talk to the guys who are like making the food like hey how are you you know that similar banter so yeah. I think those were the things that really got me through through being you know I used to Berkeley oh my god I mean I love hearing it's like one of those things you love it and you hate hearing these stories you love hearing the stories of 
I feel like, and please tell me if you agree or disagree, there's always this thing where it's almost like, and I've said this in previous episodes before, it's almost like this self-segregation, but it's almost protective because if you don't feel, no matter who we, who you are, if you don't feel like you're being included, we always look for people who are like us. Mm-hmm. I am not first generation. My first language is not Spanish, but the people that I was always drawn to were other people of color. Mm-hmm. That's where I always felt at home. That's where I always felt no matter what, because it's that dichotomy. And I think you you talk about this of not being American enough, not being Mexican enough. You know, we all know if you've seen the movie Selena, you all know that one store while they're mm-hmm. in the van of Abraham talking about, you know, they tell us to go home when we're in Mexico, but then we get the runs when we're you know, in America, but then we get the runs when we go to Mexico. It's kind of like this really weird dichotomy that we get stuck in, even Mm. for somebody who it doesn't kind of, it just, it's this weird, like, where do you fit type of thing. So once you graduated from Berkeley, where did you find your your path going? Is that, Mm -hmm. did you know at that point beyond psychology, that was your major, Mm -hmm that you wanted to write? Like, where did your path kind of veer off to prior to writing the book that we'll get into in a few months? Yeah, so I think for me, I had this, I think it's interesting how you put it because I think it makes sense and that's exactly how it feels, right? This like dichotomy. And uh, for me, I, in some ways, I really appreciated my college experience because I do believe that it did bring me up to a place of higher learning. Um, but I also felt very lonely there, you know, and excluded. And, and then in some places, they felt very included and, and, you know, all of that. I do remember the highlight of my college experience was when I traveled abroad. So I did a semester abroad and being able to ex- explore culture like that. Where did you take um, your semester abroad? I did in Spain. And it was interesting because it's like you get to learn a lot of that history, but then I got to visit Europe, Italy, and I was like, Italy reminds me so much of Mexico. And I visited France and Morocco, all these places. And to be in a place where you appreciate people of different culture really opened my mind because in a sense, I never felt appreciated at the university except for in my communities. You know, and it's like, I wish I would have had that experience of appreciation, like me navigating all the classes, like, oh, you you know, you might bring up a unique perspective and for it to be appreciated, right? Um, And it never felt like that. And and it wasn't until after I graduated and where my path really took is I wanted people to have a similar experience in higher education. So I did a lot of nonprofit work with uh, college access programs and helping, you know, students get into college. And that's still something that I'm doing now. Um, But even then, like when I wasn't stuck in my career, it still felt the same way. I was like, I'm over here helping the community and I still don't feel like enough and this and that. And it was like always a constant struggle for me. So the thing that I fell back on was traveling and I took, I made the decision to go back to Mexico and spend some time there, almost like a study abroad experience because that's, that's where my joy came from. And I went back there. I want to do that so back a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, went to um, San Miguel de Allende for my, my friend's wedding. And I had an entire day by myself there. And oh my gosh, like it was so awesome. I got to explore some of the galleries. I went shopping. But I remember just the connection that I felt mm-hmm. there when I was there. It was this 
surreal thing. And I'm so glad I had that day to mm -hmm. myself, but I want to be able to experience a longer period. That was just a long weekend. And it's an experience I will never forget of how connected I felt to the land of where I was. Then I found out that my, my grandma's side of the family is from, is from a city like 60, 70 miles away from where mm -hmm. I was. And to me, I was like, no wonder I felt so connected. I could be walking by cousins that I have no idea. I could have cousins here and I have no clue. And so I, I'm so excited to hear that you were able to do that. I'm sure you still have family that you're able, like you have mm -hmm. abuelas in there, right? Yeah. I don't even, like most of my family I think has now migrated here and has immigrated to the States. And on my grandpa's side, I have family, but I don't even really know who they are except from 23andMe. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, should I message them? Be like, guess what? I'm your prima. Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. Should I say anything or not? But you, when I ask everybody what their why is in our free questionnaire, you said your why is to empower people to feel confident with their bicultural identity in a world where we don't feel we often belong. Can mm -hmm. you Tell me how that has evolved and what prompted you to want to empower others in their bicultural identities. Yeah, um, thank you for that. Um, I think for me, it was it was very much the sense of going to college, right? Because I feel like when I went to college, being the first, you it almost feels like you separate yourself from your family because going to college, who's going to help you? My parents never went to college. You know, I could almost not rely on family. And I think because of that, I got, I got really separated unintentionally, right, on relying on my family. And I think that was kind of damaging for me of not feeling like I could lean on them, right? And one thing that I learned after going to Mexico was that I was looking at everything very, very wrong. Because one of my biggest epiphanies in Mexico was, I tied my college experience to my parents' immigration experience, right? Because I was in college, I felt lonely, people didn't come from the, the you know, neighborhoods that I came from, I felt very excluded, like I was the only one, I was also the first. And then I reflected back, and this was after hearing those stories from my grandma, I was like, wait a second, my parents were the first to come, you know, they were their first generation to come, they probably didn't speak the language, I know this town probably wasn't as diverse when they got here than it is now, they probably felt very excluded, they felt homesick, and I was like, we had a very similar experience, yet I never thought I could lean on them to ask them, how did you get through that? right? Because I thought college was so different. And I think with that, I think that's why I really want to encourage people to like dig deep into their roots because you almost find similar patterns of life when you find out the actual story behind it. And I was finding out so much being in Mexico and even just like being around people because one thing I know, a lot of Latin cultures are based on community, family values, um, the person, right? The person matters. How are you? Como estas? Like the chisme, you know, the storytelling, <laughs> like that is all embedded in our culture. And then we get to like corporate America and it's different, right? And it makes us feel like what we have to offer isn't enough. But the reality of it is, is it's like we, our communities build empires. They built this, they built, you know, all these huge things. And it's almost like America wants us to forget that when in but reality, it's like, 
right? Yes. It's like they want to use it. They want to like not embrace it for their reasons sometimes, but wants want us to forget where it comes from. Like the true thing in regards to appropriation, there has been so much conversation around that, but it's really one culture kind of totally taking it without reflecting of or the importance of where it came from and the people mm-hmm. it came from. You saying, I want to learn about this culture and immerse yourself in it. That's awesome. I think that's great. But you just saying, I'm going to put on a sarape and a sombrero and say, I've never been to Mexico. And I'm sorry, I'm taking mm-hmm. this from act- an actual experience that I heard, mm-hmm. that I heard, I saw. That means like, there's a difference in that, mm-hmm. right? There's a difference between saying, I'm here to learn. I want to understand. And that's through all cultures. That is that is why it's so important for even Mexicanos, because we know, I'm sure you know, there's even colorism within our own community. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to say, like, how can I learn? How can mm-hmm. I be a better ally? How can I, just like we want people to do for us and understand that and learn that and be able to say, okay, cool. So it's not just using our culture and like Cinco de Mayo, that's cool. If you want to drink on Cinco de Mayo, that's cool, whatever. It's not a Mexican holiday. It's a very specific thing. But versus saying like, oh, I can't say anything anymore. Can I not eat Mexican food? That's like, Mm -hmm. right? Am I, I mean, in regards to the differences. For sure. I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned. I think before, um, I, I guess I kind of like hid from my culture in different spaces. Like, for example, when I was with roommates, I still listened to Mexican music, right? Because it felt like home. I was like, my mom cleaning on the weekends, you know, that's what it felt like home, right? Um, I get but, it. I get it. Right? But I never played it around like my white roommates because I was like, they won't understand it, you know? And I also never took the initiative to try to teach them about my culture. And I think that's one of the different, the biggest shifts is that now, like, I was really immersed and I'm so proud of where I come from that I bring it everywhere. I'll like wear my shirts when I'm at work, I'll bring candies and then I'll be like, this is what this is. Um, This is why we celebrate Dia de los Muertos. And I also bring a different perspective because I know, um, so I work in the nonprofit sector and we serve a lot of DACA students and it's a lot of great work. And I think there's this initiative in, in, in helping DACA students, which is really, really great. And I remember having a conversation with a colleague where we're trying to find ways to like keep empowering, which is great. But I was like, also give them credit for everything they've already done. Like, it's not easy coming, you know, to a new country. It's not easy living here in America. It's not easy, you know, all of this. But all of that takes strength, it takes courage, it takes grit. They already have it. So don't feel like you need to give it to them as charity because it's already there. Like we're already strong, strong people. Yeah. You know, and I think when people realize that, it's like, okay, now let us create our own. Don't oppress us, don't do this, because we have everything that it takes. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's been my biggest shift is that now I'm pointing it out to people. If you say something that makes me like that you kind of victimize, you know, people of color, I'm like, hold up, hold up a second. I'm like, you have to recognize that these families have already overcome. So what we have to do is just provide the knowledge so they can continue doing that. That is awesome. I love hearing that. So you've wrote a book. You've written a book called Aventura Amor y Tacos. I love that name, by the way. And it's for me, 
particularly this week, it's because, girl, I have been a cooking machine. I have been like, I think this week alone, I've made enchiladas, arroz, ceviche, salsa, carne asada, and I live by myself. Yes. <laughs> um, I have been like, I am not, I am, and I cook a lot of different things, but there's always like that semi-permanent smell of Mexican food in my house. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> like, I am that person who's like, it never kind of leaves, the, the scent never kind of leaves. It's always even, the waste is still a little bit just still there. What was your prompting of writing this book? Like, I want to hear a little bit of not how, not only how this book came to life, but what can people expect when they read the book? I ordered it. I haven't gotten it yet. I cannot wait to get it. But I think one of the, like, I don't know, I'm sure there's going to be things in there that I don't even know in regards to, because it's part recipe book, part storytelling, correct? It's majority, uh, it is storytelling. But it's like with a perspective of living in Mexico. So that's what it's like. The way I describe it, it's like my Eat, Pray, Love adventure, but with a Mexican twist. Love that. I, and I did yes. read that book, but I want like, I will say this. I love hearing that because how many of us are not going to be able to have an experience like Eat, Pray, Love? That, that's a very specific experience to somebody, very specific. And I appreciate it. And I think that's really rad. And I appreciate the story and whole of how somebody went through that journey. But realistically, especially from our community, how many of us are actually going to be able to go to Italy for three months, uh -huh. go to Bali for three months, go, I forget where else she goes for three months and uh -huh. oh, India, India for three months. And like, that's, almost an entire nine months. So to, to see that you went back to like the quote unquote motherland, mm. that's where they're prompted. I'm so interested in hearing evolving and the inspiration, the whole thing kind of behind the book and what people are going to find. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you mentioned all of that because I think it was, it's necessary for um, our communities to really hear that because I love these adventure books. I'm a big traveler, but I was like, where are the brown people? <laughs> You're like, where are they going? Like, why are, Why is it not being written? And I mean, technically, the brown people are the people that she visited, not the, not the storyteller herself. <laughs> exactly, right? So I knew that, like, going into Mexico, I wanted to write something. I didn't know it was going to be a book, but I found myself writing a lot because I kept having these epiphanies of, like, oh, I looked at my life perspective very differently here than when I did over there. So it closed the circles on a lot of things. And then also I appreciated, you know how you said when you were in Mexico, it just felt like, I don't know, like it just feels like home and you're just mm -hmm. so connected to it. Right. And I did it. I never understood why until I think because I was there so long, I was able to pay attention to the little reasons why. And that's what my chapters are. So like my chapters are essentially kind of like the beachos, the, 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 um, like the quotes you always hear from parents, families, and how tied they are to the culture, right? So like one of them is come bien, which is eat well, right? So it's like, how do you do that? Because not everybody has the opportunity to go on this adventure, right? But you could take those lessons and do them here. How do you eat well? You cook, you know, you, 
you ask for recipes from elders, tias, moms, you know, grandmas, whoever you might have? No, totally. Because like the things that I make, I know that they're passed down, right? They mm-hmm. probably change a little bit, but like the way I make enchiladas is the way my mom taught me, which is the way her my grandma taught her and my great grandma. I make enchiladas, like part of what I make them with is with black olives. Mm. Like I make usually whether it's usually I make chicken, chicken or cheese. And then obviously I make all the spices, but I put black olives in the mix when I stuff it. And people, sometimes people are like, that's weird. Most of people are like, but every time people taste it, they're like, that's so good. That tastes like, Mm -hmm. because when it cooks down and I've heard people say, well, that's not traditional. I'm like, well, it's traditional to me. Exactly. That came from my great grandma and that was passed along. And that's how I make it in my Theo might would always ask my mom to make tacos because she makes them like my grandma makes them. Mm. Which is now how I make them, which is uh, carne con papas, right? Mm. The ground beef mm-hmm. with the papas. And people don't realize that when you're poor, you would mix things in to make them last. And mm-hmm. one of the things you would do mix the meat with is potato to be able to have it longer and make more meat. But that's still how even I make my tacos. Exactly. So it's not a thing of not having enough. It's become a family thing. It's a mm-hmm. recipes passed down. And you're so right in being able to to say, to be able to use those and to connect with those and to be able to pass those things down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of the reason I wrote it was because there really isn't a lot of, of that message of stay grounded and I, there's a chapter that i that i have it's called um which means be like a tree grow towards the sun but grounded in your roots and i think we forget a lot of that being like first second third generation in a new country where um the culture and the values don't align with the one that we were raised right and we almost want to assimilate so much but we get so much power like being grounded in our roots that we could do both Right. So it's really emerging of that. Like, how do you um, tie those two identities together? How do you become empowered? How do you learn how to like comer bien? How do you learn? Um, there's another chapter that I call Primero Dios because everybody says that all the time, you know, and the beauty of like not having to live on a schedule and on the run and on the this and, and really bringing it's really coming full circle for me because what I learned to understand was that. Mexico is just as beautiful as the opportunities we get here in America. But people often see it as people are running away from it. It's just, it's just on circumstance, right? Like some people need to. Um, but I also, it was kind of like a healing story for me that my parents left poverty and now they have, they like multiplied what they could have ever done here. But also understanding that part of the things that they left behind are also valuable, right? Like the community, the history, the ancestry, the recipes, the fiestas, the this and the that, you know? So it's just like everything comes at a cost, but recognizing that that part of you is just as valuable as the one that you're you're chasing after. What was your parents' reaction when you decided to write this book and came out with this book? Yeah, it, it was interesting because the reaction when I told them I was going to go to Mexico was like, yeah, <laughs> you know? And so they were really shocked at that. They were, at my mom especially, she didn't believe I was going to go. And two, they didn't believe I was going to last. Because I think they're... Con- How long they're con- were you there? I was there for five, almost six months. Oh my gosh, I wish. I want to I yeah. that. 
Yeah. Can you go visit your abuelita over there? Can I go stay Yo. two months with her? <laughs> my abuela, I took two of my friends there for Dia de los Muertos, and my abuela, she's like, uh, she's always asking about them, and I told her, yeah. Wait, like, can I go? Them. Because, you know, my, my birthday is November 2nd. My is birthday it? is Dia de los Muertos. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, I definitely, I'm planning a trip there, so <laughs> hoping Corona is, you know, not. Corona not gets to be gone. <laughs> Corona. <laughs> Girl, bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it's it's such an open community, like, everybody's so loving there, and I just I just wanted to give a highlight to that, because that's where we come from, and I think even my parents have kind of forgotten, because they thought I wasn't going to last they were like, you're not going to make it because their experience was of poverty, right? Mm. But here I had savings. I had a community, you know, and it was a different experience for me. Yeah. So I wanted to get tribute to that, yeah. That's awesome. So where can people, if they want your book, which you should get her book, I cannot wait to get mine. Where can people get your book? Yes, awesome. Well, I, I have it on Amazon, um, so you could order it there. And then I also am offering signed copies on Etsy for anybody who wants that as well. So those are the two places where you can get... Um, a question. Other- Through Etsy, is there a difference in regards to where the money goes versus Amazon and Etsy? Um, it's kind of similar, but I would say Etsy is just a better deal because I, those are books that I order straight from Amazon. Um, but Etsy would be the better option, yeah. All right, making sure. Girl, why Thank you. you. Thank right. you, girl. <laughs> and <they're> both available. <laughs> you're like, wherever they get it is fine with me. Yeah. Where do you want to see your journey lead next? Where would you like to see that? So I completely fell in love with Mexico. Part of me is like, I'm I'm like this artist person who loves to write. I love photography. I love people. I love being with people. I love, you know, that's what I love. I see myself like going and living in Mexico, um, hopefully soon, you know, maybe in the next couple of years. And what I want to do is I know a lot of people, especially living in America, struggle with like identity crisis. I want to be able to provide experiences for people. So like inviting people to Mexico, like come for the other Los Muertos, come for these fiestas and know how beautiful it is. And that's the beauty that you come from. Because you're coming out with something, right? Like this Mm racist travel. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's that's, Girl, that's I got the, you didn't even put that on the questionnaire. <laughs> I had to make sure I got the info right. So what is those types of like tell us about what that is and what that's going to entail and experience. Yeah. So um last November I took two of my friends out to Mexico to the rancho and I think it's a different experience than just being a tourist, right? Because if you're a tourist, I think you get a lot of that impact and it's beautiful. But what I want to do is really provide experiences for people where they can learn how to cook from a tia or from an elder, you know, and understand the why of, of why you make things a certain way, um, where you could have like a storytelling session, like a cheese session with the abuelas and the... And the Girl, grandpa. we got to go down there and we take some wine from Baja. There we'll you have go. A chismiendo session down there. Yes, yes. <laughs> Nobody does it best than, you know, all the tias that we learned it from. <laughs> That is right. What if somebody wants to reach out to you on social, where can they find you social website? So I am most active on Instagram at aventura.amor.tacos. So you can find me there. I'm also starting a community for those who are interested in learning a little bit more about about the raices. Um, So that's on Facebook called Raices Society. And I became um, a member this morning. 
<laughs> yes, thank you. Um, so we just want to have these conversations. You know, what does it mean to, to learn from where we come from? And then I have a website, mydiahernandez.com. All right, so now we, there's a few questions that I always ask everybody that we, that we do. What do you wish you would have known when you started out? Whether it's starting out on your journey of this bicultural identity, what, like whatever that means to you, what do you wish you would have known? I think starting out to me was this journey because that's where I feel more confident in. And I wish I would have known that I could have done it sooner. Right, that's, why do we hold ourselves back, right? Yeah. Uh, what are you curious about right now? I'm curious about my parents' story because I have a lot about my abuelos and I ask them a lot of questions, but I haven't dug deep enough in my parents' perspective. So that's what I'm curious about. Girl, I feel the same way. I always hear all the chismiendo of other stuff and then you're like, what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What is something, again, you can kind of take it from your perspective in regards to what this means to you. What is something you've failed at? One thing I've failed at. I think I've always seen myself like failing at a typical American career because I just don't think it's built for me. Like, I don't think I'm made out of it, but you always still feel the guilt of failure because I feel like that's why my parents came here. And I'm just like, I can't do a nine to five. <laughs> you know what? In the weirdest way, I kind of understand what you're saying because even though I'm not first generation, my parents are very, um, my dad's always worked a very nine to five job. My mom growing up, she didn't really work. She would be like, oh, I'm bored. I'm going to go work. And then she wouldn't, but she's been working at the same company for almost 20 years now. But they've always had like that vision of a traditional job. Mm. and I feel like I've really jumped around a lot and it's me because too. so and I feel like my parents never understood that or understood me so I totally understand like I in that way I felt like a like I don't want to ever see myself as a failure in their eyes more than anything else mm. so I, I totally understand what you're saying what is your favorite word I know what love. you told me did I say love? No, I said aventura. No, you said aventura. Yeah. Why those aventura? Two, I, <laughs> I mean, I did title my book those two words. Right? You sure did. Tacos. <laughs> and if, um, if you don't like tacos, I don't want to be your friend. <laughs> aventura has just been something that I, and, and I find it even more closer when it's in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Because I think when I travel, um, I'm Mexicana, I'm Latina, that's who I am. And if people um, don't speak Spanish, aventura is like adventure. Yeah, and that's so, where I feel the most alive. Translated, her book is called Adventure Love Tacos. Like her, eat, pray, love, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just, it's just a little bit changed up. Um, what is a dream that scares you? I think a dream that scares me is like actually building a business out of this and how big of an impact it can have because it's you see the amount of influence you can have and it's it's a little scary right of like actually bringing building bridges and connecting people and seeing how big of a change you can make and it's a little scary to think of it yes all right and the final question what i end every podcast with wine red white or rosé and do you have a specific type I w I'm pretty basic when it comes to wine, I feel. I feel like I'd go with red and a cab. There you go. Yeah. Mayra, thank you so much for taking this. I had such a good time talking to you. <laughs> Me too. Thank you so much, Jessica. I appreciate you. I appreciate this platform you have. 
I appreciate your energy because you just bring <laughs> out all the cheese, and it's so good. I joke. I'm like, you know, I am the the new Latina Oprah. Christina, move over. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes girl. <laughs> but we do it fun, and we do it with wine. So you know. Exactly. Until next time, mi gente. Thank you so much, Myra, and we will see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. Mayra's book, Aventura, Amor y Tacos, is now available via Amazon and Etsy. And the links are provided in the show notes so you can get your read on. Take a photo and make sure to tag at aventura.amor.tacos and at the Wine and Cheese Me on Instagram if you purchase a book. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? then please reach out to me via my social media handles. You can reach me at Instagram at The Wine and Chisme and on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Wine and Chisme Podcast because I want to hear your story. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Ratings are always appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. So until next time, mi gente, saludos.